that might come. Good point. Or that might not come. A very good point. Mm -hmm. Very good point. There's always a reason for everything. Everything happens for a reason. But I, the, the reason why I, I talk about those two, those two experiences about dis disappointment is because all the highs and all the successes and all the, you know, the accolades and things of that nature, I literally was just, you know, recognized for almost 30 years of, you know, being in the music business for the first time two weeks ago. <laughs> and I'm just like, thank God there were things along the way that kept me going. Right. You know, but, you know, you can't do it for the pats on the back. Yeah. You got to do it because you're in it. Right. Because you want to do it. Yes. Having pats on the back is, is great. It's motivating, but, but it's definitely motivating. Mm -hmm. It's encouraging, especially when the, when when the, when things feel like they're closing in on you. Mm -hmm. When you when the industry is changing around you, and you don't know what the hell's next, and you're yeah. like, I hope that you know, in two weeks I'm still relevant. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I keep on being involved with projects that allow me to you know, be relevant. Your network is your net worth. I haven't talked to somebody. I hadn't seen them in 13 years and hadn't probably talked to them in five. They called me and asked me to work with Chance the Rapper. Mm. I was like, this was two years ago. We were do they were doing the tribute to Muhammad Ali on the SB Awards. Right. They needed somebody to help. And I was just like, yep, yeah, sure. And then we turned around and did the Grammy six months later. God is good. <laughs> but this kind of stuff happens to me all the time because I do believe, believe that I made a bunch of investments. Mm -hmm. I made, you know, I paid into a bank, you know, continuous payoff, and that's why I say my network is my net worth. Those two things, just talk about disappointment. Um, the worst thing that's ever really happened. Um, I never, it's funny, I don't, I, because I tend to look at things that are even bad mm -hmm. as learning experiences and things of that nature, I don't really have this bucket of things that, that like was so, so bad that, you know, that it really threw me off of my, of my game long term. Mm -hmm. But um, I'll tell you one last story. Um, so I wear this ring. Mm -hmm. Okay. People go, oh, you're married? No, I'm not, actually. Um, but this ring is a reminder of some of the darkest times in American history. Mm -hmm. I, um, it was 2000, okay. so Brenda Russell, it was 2001, mm -hmm. Brenda Russell album had been sh overshadowed by Jill Scott's success, mm -hmm. right? And we decided to take another swing at it. Mm -hmm. And there was a song on the record I love called Walking in New York. Okay. So um, it was a little kind of Latin tinge thing and, you know, so one of her good friends was Mary Wilson from the Supremes, mm -hmm. and another one of her good friends was uh, Lisa Fisher, um, who sang with um, Luther Vandross, but also won a Grammy f for How Can I Ease the Pain. So you know, anyway, so we, they came with this great treatment, and we actually did it in Fort Greene in Brooklyn. So it was like a stand-in for for Harlem. Mm -hmm. We did this video. It was shot by uh, Chris Robinson's protege, Risa. And uh, it was actually my first time appearing in a music video. If you go back, you see me because I had a huge afro. Uh, I'm, going, I'm in the crowd. Yeah. You need people to fill up the streets. And they were like, go now, come back the video, man. <laughs> so, um, did the video. We're ready to launch the video. We, um, we booked 
Brenda for the world premiere and the interview on the Ananda show, which was hot, mm -hmm. you know. And um, so there's a couple different layers to this story, and I haven't really ever told it before. Now we got an exclusive, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to tell you, but yeah, I'll save parts of it for the book. But <laughs> I'm squabbling mm -hmm. with the, the, the label management, and I'm just like, okay, we need to do this to launch this record. I mean, I tell people, independent artists, this is a note for you, breaking the fourth wall. You always need something bigger than you to pull you along, particularly when you're underfunded. Back in the day when you used to be able to write a, write a check for advertising, you know, you could do that. And nowadays, it's just too much clutter. So you got to find something bigger than yourself to pull you along. So we were this label. We were very two nickels together. We spent this money on this music video, and I needed a, way, a, a national platform to launch the video, or else the same thing was going to happen again. She right. was, we wouldn't get the pop that we needed. So I, yeah. made, I made the decision mm -hmm. to send Brenda to New York mm -hmm. to be on the Amanda show. Okay. And I would fly in the next day in order to meet her there in time for the taping. Mm -hmm. In typical Thornell Jones fashion, I was late <laughs> for my plane, oh, man. which was direct to JFK. So, at the time, you were able to change your flight. So I just rerouted myself through DC. Mm -hmm. I said, I'll still get there in the morning. It'll be great, because I was taking the red eye. Yeah. So, get on the plane, get to DC, there was like an hour and a half, so they let us deplane. So I'm in the airport, and okay, time to get on the plane. So we get on the back of the plane, getting ready to leave DC from Dulles to go to New York. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting there, and we're sitting there, we're sitting there, and we're sitting there. And um, they're like, okay, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, New York airspace is closed, so we're not going to be able to uh, fly to New York, so you have to find an alternate way to get there. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, Somebody else um, said, "Oh yeah, I just got a text from my uh, from my husband that a plane flew into the World Trade Center." Oh wow! And this was that day, I said, "Oh, you know, people used to climb the World Trade Center. Cessnas used to fly around." And I was oh, some idiot, right? So we get into the into the lobby, and there's CNN, CNN air uh, the airport network, mm -hmm. and you see the World Trade Center, and you see the smoke coming out of the building, and I was like, terrorism. Oh I said, this is terrorism. Mm -hmm. I said, I got to get to New York. Brenda is in New York, mm -hmm. and I'm in D.C., and I have to get to New York. Right. So I go down, get to the Washington Flyer, which is the cab company. I said, you got to take me into the city. Get in the cab going into the city, and as we're coming down this big highway, it's like some 15 lanes coming from Reston into the city, all these black cars are coming past. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in a spy movie, right? Right. We come around the corner, and off to the right is the Pentagon, mm. with a big black plume of smoke coming out of the Pentagon. And I was like, oh my God, it is terrorism. Yeah. Damn. I oh, get into man. the city. People are streaming out of the buildings like in a disaster movie. Yeah. I said to myself, oh my God, what is happening? Right. So I go to the subway and they're like, the subway is closed. And everybody's standing around trying to figure out what's going on. And then the subway opens. So I said, okay, let me get to Union Station. So I get to Union Station. I come out of the subway. I go up to the guy, the, the fire marshal's there with a little hat and his little uniform. 
Union Station is closed. Mm. Find alternate ways home. 10,000 people standing out in front of the Union Station. Oh no God. nowhere to go. That's so I said, okay, I'll take the bus. So if you know anything about where Union Station is, mm. H Street goes along the side of it, and you just kind of walk up there, and about maybe about a half mile up the way is the bus station. Yeah. So I get a few hundred yards. And on my way there, I stop, and I'm listening to the, somebody has a shortwave radio, and you're hearing what's, what's going, going on. on. Mm -hmm. Oh, the smoke is done. The people are screaming. The firemen doing this, that, that. I'm going, oh, my God, what's going on? I go a couple hundred yards up the street, maybe not a hundred yards, in this, I don't know if he was Muslim, but he was like one of those spiritual brothers just wearing, you know, dashiki mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. and a kufi, and smelled like nang shampa. Yeah, like incense. <laughs> incense, right? Yeah. He says, so, where are you headed from, brother? Mm -hmm. I said, uh, I'm going to go get the bus. And he says, well... Um, where you headed? Yes, I'm going to New York. He says, well, you're not going to be able to get past Baltimore. They, they shut down the highway past Baltimore. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, okay. Well, fortunately, I have relatives in D.C. My sister lives in Tacoma Park in Maryland. My dad lives in Annapolis. So it wasn't like I was stranded, stranded. But for the next two days, because, well, actually, just more, I go back to get on the subway so I can go to my sister's house. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there, and those people who were listening to shortwave radio were still listening to shortwave radio. So I joined this little circle of people who were listening to shortwave radio. Mm -hmm. And while we're standing there, then the announcer says, Tower 2 is down. Tower 2 is down. Oh, the World Trade Center are no more. And I burst into tears. Yeah, man, that's crazy. I was standing there because I remember as a little kid, in Brooklyn, visiting my uncle and my aunt mm -hmm. from in Williamsburg, yeah. watching them build the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. You know, these two towers that went. I was just like, oh my God, they're gone. Yeah. So I get to New York, mm -hmm. finally on Thursday, and my first order of business is finding Brenda Russell at her hotel because yeah. she's been missing for two days because nobody can reach her because the cell phone towers are out because the World Trade Center is down. Mm -hmm. And I knew what she was saying, so I went to her hotel room. They didn't want to let me up, and I was just like, you, you have to let me. So I go to her door, I knock on her door, and she opens the door, and she says, oh, my God, thank you. And so we had a hug right there, whatever. She tells me the story, you know, of her experience yeah. for the last two days, right? So now that I know that she's okay, I end up going to my hotel. Mm. I'm standing in the middle of Madison Avenue. Okay. Newspapers are blowing down Madison Avenue like tumbleweed mm. because everyone is so scared. They're inside the, their homes. Right. And everyone is afraid to come out, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up... Uh, yeah, we moved. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, from New York, I was in Jersey at the time. My parents were in New York, but when it happened, like literally a couple months, Florida. My, my best friends who lived in Brooklyn... Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the plume, the, 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 uh, the smoke plume went from Manhattan because of the wind over to Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, we're not being in this toxic fumes. So they actually left and moved to upstate New York. Mm -hmm. So probably about Friday, the mayor's like, we know everybody's traumatized. You have to try to get out and try to go back to normal. We don't know what normal is yet, but you got it. You can't be paralyzed. We're in New York. We got to get out. Work. So, so my friends and I went for dinner in the West Village. And when I came out of the subway, there was a guy there, uh, you know, a street vendor, mm -hmm. selling jewelry. Mm -hmm. So I bought this ring in remembrance of that time. 
Mm. And I've worn this ring since September 13th, 2001. Mm. So this is my reminder. This is my reminder that I'm a that I'm a New Yorker, but it's also a reminder of a really traumatic time in history. Sometimes I wonder if I made the right decision because it was, <laughs> trust me, it was it was crazy because some people didn't know that I had actually sent Brenda to New York. Right. Right. They didn't find out that after it already happened that she was there and had gone through all this stuff and and. They were scared about for me yeah. because they knew that I was supposed to fly on the red eye to New York, and so it wasn't until I showed up, like, a day later that they knew that I was okay. Yeah, you know, so it was a real what we call clusterfuck. Yeah, um, but you know what they say, all as well as end well. But it was like there were so many lessons I learned in there, and just being so. involved in that experience you know a lot of people it's abstract for people who weren't in new york or in right. that area at the time you know it's it's you know it's a, a, you know our country was attacked to patriotism and things of that nature but there were people who lost their lives there are people who's lost their spouses mm -hmm. there were my what a really good friend of mine was working for american express in the world trade tower they would um they would um Rotate mm -hmm. who would go get breakfast. Right. It was his turn. Wow. He's the only one who lived. That's crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah, my friend of my aunt's used to work there, and she told me that he was late to work that day. So he was in the train station the whole time it was happening. It was fortunate enough that he was late, but still unfortunate for everybody else, you know? So yeah. that's crazy, man. So the good stuff is high, 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 and the low stuff is low, low, low. But in in, 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 in in the end, though, it's just my life. Yeah. You know? It's my life. It's something that I chose, or maybe it chose me. Either way, you're surviving through it. Hell, you know? Yeah. So here we are in um, October of 2018. What's next for you? That's a good question. Um, well, I'm really excited about, you know, what's happening with our company. We are doing some really awesome things, working with some really awesome artists. Um, I'm, I'm kind of bi-coastal again. I'm working with this uh, label out of New York called Isotopia Records. It was started by this opera singer. She's really cool. She's actually from Ohio. Mm -hmm. Really down to earth. And she's an artist. And I, I really enjoy working with her so much. Um, but she started this label as a vehicle to put out an uh, album for herself. Mm -hmm. So, not that it was opera. She was, she wanted to do a pop record. So, she did what I call art pop. It's kind of like a, like maybe something by Barbara Streisand would do. Okay. So, it's really tasteful, but really cool. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a success. She put it, she had over 4 million spins on Spotify. Nice. You know? And so, then she decided to do these other groups. So, um, one is called Baby Raptors. They're kind of like a retro 80s pop, indie pop group, right? Mm -hmm. They're from Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And then um, there's a... And so, Constance, Constance Hellman, who started the label, she's a great musician, got great ears, great musical taste, whatever. She actually built a whole band situation around this other single, singer, and the band is called Miss Velvet and the Blue Wolf. Mm. Imagine if you would, um, Janis Joplin, 
meets Steven Tyler meets Mick Jagger. Interesting combination, but With I can tell a lot of greatness that come from it. Funky rock music. I am having so much fun working this music because, you know, after, you know, 25 years of, you know, being in the R&B lane, it's fun to have new challenges and to, you know, meet new people and do new things. So that's really exciting for me, you know, at this juncture of my career to be able to do this. And it's great to be able to still pick up the phone and be able to say, hey, you know, I'm doing this thing. And people go, oh, that's really cool. And then, like, I posted something. We had this Grammy mixer last week with her mm -hmm. and did a showcase thing at the Viper Room mm -hmm. and posted these pictures. I got K-Rock liking my stuff. And, um, God, somebody else, I was floored. I was That's like, awesome, what? Man. What? Yeah, so it's like, it's exciting. It's kind of like, you know, just when, you know, your friends are retiring, it's like, you know, you got a whole nother chapter unfolding in front of you, right? right. I'm just, I, I'm just completely, totally excited. So myself, my business partner, Allison Perkins Thomas, who has a great experience in sponsorship marketing and nonprofit management, having worked with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation and stuff. We're just taking our relationships, um, our know-how, and um, our passion for, you know, good, quality, positive music, you know, forward into the new year. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's 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 great, man. Keep counting those blessings, cause I'm sure there's more to come, man. And um, where where can people get contact with you? Where can they follow you, or again your services? Cool. Um, well, if you want to know about the services, you should go to our website. It's uh, theovationagency.com. Um, you can follow us our business page at the Ovation Agency on Facebook, mm -hmm. and then if you want to follow me. Personally, you follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Thornell J. Mm -hmm. And then on Facebook, it's Thornell Jones Jr. So that's how you find us. Um, we're, uh, we have a whole engine on the, on, the, um, on the website. So if you want a consultation, just put your uh, information in there. It sends us a message and we can do a chat. We can do a... a, a a call, we can do in-person consultation, we can put together a whole like retreat, it's like you'll say a label meets a strategy meeting, we can pull somebody in from radio, from the six channels, radio, mm -hmm. retail, press, video, whatever, we sit around the table and conceive, you know, what you know what you should be doing after listening to the music, you know, we try to, you know, be at 30,000 feet and kind of put together strategy mm -hmm. and not just tactics, it's so easy to say, oh, I need somebody to do social media, well, what's your messaging? Exactly. You know, where, where, you know, what are the themes? What are the things you want to tell people? What's going to make, what's your competitive advantage? What's your point of differentiation in the marketplace? And how is that translate into your messaging and to your content and all that kinds of things? And sometimes people get way down the road and don't understand why the stuff that they're not, that they're communicating isn't sticky. Mm -hmm. It's not, no, it's not moving the needle at all. Right. Right? I, I got a, um, an acquaintance who wanted to work with me and just the messaging was all over the place and was putting out this EP and I was just like and was doing some really innovative things 
but the messaging wasn't there. And I started looking at the, and you got over 80,000 followers on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then when you look at the engagement, the engagement's not where it should be. Right. You know, if you have real fans, you have 80,000 people, you, sh you should be 8,000 likes. Exactly. Right? And you're getting 1,000, 1,200. Right? Yeah. Something's wrong. Yeah, exactly. Something's wrong. So you got to get to 30,000 feet and really put together your strategy. And this is what we, this is what we preach. But it's not like we're all high in the sky, too. Because I'm sitting there, you know, scheduling posts and, you know, responding mm -hmm. to things and, you know, doing the things that have to happen in order to get the butts in the seats. Right. You know, we're throwing some, um, uh, a grand mixer in two weeks for this R&B artist. And, you know, I just approved a venue today. We're approving menus and we're inviting people and there's going to be Grammy voters in the room. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, the beauty of having the experience that I've had versus maybe what some other people have had um, in their careers is being able to be at 30,000 feet but also be able to be in the nuts and bolts. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why we were able to stay so competitive at Hidden Beach for so long was mm -hmm. because not only was I doing stuff with a label, but I had my own roster of clients and I had to continue to keep the knife, the knife sharpened. Right. Right? When, after Joe Scott blew up in 2000, 2001, all my friends were like, okay, now it's time for you to leave and go get a big label job. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, no, no. I like what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. I like what Steve is doing with this company. I like the vision. I like the fact that we're about quality music. I like the fact that there's a spiritual underpinning to what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I stayed. Mm -hmm. So while my friends were making $350,000, I was making a fraction of that. But understanding that I was not doing it for the money. I was doing it because I was in service of the music and, and, and something bigger. Right. And you're making it happen, man. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I feel like this, is, this needs to be a conversation for another day because I have so many questions, man. Well, you have an open door. You know that. This has been, this has been so unusual and, and wonderful and, and amazing on so many different levels. Thank you for allowing me just to talk. Thank you for the opportunity for allowing me to interview you, man. I mean, like I said, it's been a long time coming. I've been wanting to do this, yeah. and we got the opportunity to knock yeah. it out. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Jones. I appreciate your time. This has been another episode of Sleepers for Billionaires, the podcast. Once again, I'm Johnny Vegas. I'm Donald Jones, Jr. There he is, man. Stay tuned for more episodes to come. Thank you for watching.